from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night. I am one half of the Boulay Brothers, Drac Morda, and joining me here, as always, is my sister in crime, Swan Thula. Hello, my darling. It's kind of strange being like the one that's introduced. I'm so used to being the one to kind of set the tone for the podcast, but I can take second horn to your intro. So thank you for that setup. So the news is officially out about season four. Oh, it's so exciting. It is exciting. (laughs) We've been busy, busy, busy and just dying to let the news out and let the world know and the fans know when they can anticipate the premiere of the fourth season of the Boulay Brothers Dragula. And yes, the news has been officially announced in October 19th is the date. That's right. So if you're planning a viewing party out there, now you have the date and the time will be 9 p.m. PST. So that means it'll be midnight on the East Coast. So if you have a viewing party plan, that's the perfect time. Midnight, right? You can book some of the Dragula performers to come and then they can perform and then you can watch the show together at midnight. You can cry. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You can cry when your favorite monsters die and you can celebrate when your other favorite monsters win. So it's really exciting and you guys can plan to watch the show episodically for 10 weeks in a row every Tuesday starting Tuesday, October 19th and every Tuesday after. So we were obviously not really with Nightingale Triple X last Oh, the comments. I took a peek online and there definitely is some threads out there talking about (laughs) who is Nightingale Triple X. Who is? Who is she? It's out there. It's a mystery. People want to know. And I love this. (laughs) I love this so much. I want to know too. We were not with Nightingale Triple (laughs) X. Obviously, we were filming the show and working on it. So that's what we were doing. But we couldn't talk about that on the last episode. But now we can because the secret is out. Right. And speaking of the show and news that's out, there's been an announcement and sort of a lineup or at least part of the lineup of the amazing list of guest judges that we have featured on the fourth season of the show. And it is star studded. Yes, it really is. And a lot of the people that ended up coming on as judges are super fans of the show. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh my God, this person and that person, they don't see the connection, but you all don't know what the themes are yet of the episodes. And I think it'll all make a lot of sense once that comes out. People like Vanessa Hudgens, Misha Osherovich, Harvey Guillen, Poppy, Bob the Drag Queen, Orville Peck, and the list just goes on and on. It is so good. Yeah, there's a lot of people on that are judging that we don't want to tell you who they are yet because it'll give it all away. So we're going to hold on to that and leave a couple of surprises for later. I'm really excited. I'm excited the information is starting to come out. I'm excited that Meet the Monsters will soon be out and Mm. our new crop of ghouls will be unveiled for the world to see. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. I'm excited for them. No, me too. It's going to be exciting for them. All of the competitors are excited for us, exciting for the fans. It's just good stuff coming our way. Yes. And I know we're in a little bit of a hurry today because we are leaving to film Joe Bob's show. That's right. In the middle of a hurricane, of course, (laughs) as it always is. 
as happens to us, we'll be traveling to the East Coast <laughs> to our friend's studio and filming an upcoming episode of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. And we're really excited to be a guest on his show as our kind of membership in the Shutter family really gets solidified. Yeah. You know, Joe Bob is one of those people who knows everything there is to know about horror. Like he can just go on and on and on. I mean, the most obscure information, he has it. It's literally scary. It's impressive the way he kind of delivers information too. Like his opening monologues, like they're just straight onto the camera and he will speak for like 15 to 20 minutes uninterrupted, unedited, really meticulously about these deep cut movies and oh, absolutely. actors and producers. And he just, you know, it's impressive. And we have some friends that go on and talk that long too. Usually very annoying. But yes. when Joe Bob does it, it's actually filled with well, information that you want about. to know. Our yeah. friends that do that are just like... Just full then, of shit. Then I had to go to Rite Aid and I'm like, girl, really? <laughs> There's a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks and months. And of course, that culminates for us. The premiere of the show will be happening in mid-October, as we've already talked about. But shortly after that is our 20th annual Boulay Brothers Los Angeles Halloween Ball. That's right. Which is happening on Saturday, October 30th. Yes, and we're not going to unveil the lineup to that yet. But we do hope to get tickets on sale maybe in the next two or three weeks. And when you do see them on sale, you should definitely get them because they're going to go fast. And I invite people definitely to fly in from other states and countries, as many do, to come and see it. Because it's a really a different kind of event that I think you won't see anywhere else in the country. So we encourage you to join us. Absolutely. And if you're not going to be in the Los Angeles area for Halloween, we are traveling quite a bit in October and dates are getting added every day. The Boulay Brothers will be in Denver, Salt Lake City, Chicago, Boston, Milwaukee, and that list just keeps growing. So sure does. if you're not around LA, you just in a town near you. I like to try to get to as many cities as we can during Halloween because it's just such an exciting, fun time. And you know, it's our time. All right, well, let's go ahead and bring in our co-host, Ian. Ian, welcome back. And how are you handling all the buzz around season four? I'm spiraling out of control. I can't handle the pressure. (laughs) That's probably true. Hey. (laughs) She can handle it. Uh, Not that you can't handle it, but that, you know, I know what's going on. Oh, totally. She busy. She definitely busy. I will say I have definitely bolstered my immune system since we first started working together. I don't know if you guys remember, but I would habitually get really, really, sick after we did any sort of large scale event and be like she used all her powers she's on cooldown. Mm-hmm. we'll see her next week you were a newly incepted apprentice but true your powers have grown i think show. so and it shows oh it's sort of like exposure like you get you expose yourself to the abuse until <laughs> right before you die and then you stop and then you rest mm-hmm. and you know you take all the vitamin c and everything and you get better and then you just slowly keep doing it yeah and you become extremely powerful and unstoppable Ooh, yes i will say there is one specific memory I have when we were getting ready to kind of unleash the Meet Our Monsters of season three that I distinctly remember. We were on stage for Queen Kong and we premiered the Meet Our Monsters. I remember this feeling of just being like, my blood is battery acid. And it's something that I always think about. It's from this book called American Psycho. It's one of my favorites. And it's just that feeling of being like, oh my God, I am on fire. I am electric. And the world is truly going to crumble underneath all of our powers. And that's kind of, I'm gearing up for that right now. Like, I don't Good. think people are ready. Ooh, I, I don't think they are either. It is 
the best season that we've ever produced. It yeah. really is. It's so good. <laughs> it's so, I feel like we've been using this a lot, but it is so spicy. It really <laughs> is. I mean, right out of the gate too. Yeah. Do you know people always reference season two as like mm-hmm. that first episode is, as was really spicy. Girl. This one, I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) All I can do is laugh. I can barely hold it in because the truth is like we've never orchestrated that kind of behind the scenes. Totally. uh, Drama. It is just organic and it's self-generated. And these are about the relationships and the chemistry of the people that we decided to put together and put them under the stress and expectation of the show. And it is a spicy soup in that cauldron. (laughs) One of the things I want to say is like, of course, we always encourage everyone to speak their mind. Like the Mm -hmm. producers, of course, have to tell people like, hey, you have to speak up on camera. So no one's trying to say that. However, I think this is the first season we've ever had to tell them to bring it down. Totally, (laughs) totally. Which is crazy. Like, we didn't have to project. We didn't have to (laughs) ask them to talk. We had to ask them to not talk. I think they were making up for season three. (laughs) Oh, damn, she said it. (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, season three was a different beast. It was. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, you wanted season two? Oh, yeah. Well, even I remember being on set day one of production, seeing them all in the newly upgraded boudoir and just having this thought of, wow, they are on fire today. They really all came to just have fun and kind of play the game. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to say what their opinions are mm-hmm. on on these shows now because the fan base is so toxic. But this cast doesn't care. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I love them for it. And I actually think it's going to be part of a renaissance of not caring. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we should all care about really important things and to help each other learn and grow and tell each other when there's mistakes. But I think the whole era of, like... The fear of being canceled at saying one wrong word. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's over. I hope that it's over. I hope that it's over, too. absurd and, you know hypocritical and stupid but (laughs) (laughs) exactly well on that note ian why don't you fill us in on what's been happening in the worlds of hollywood and horror this week it seems like every day the world of horror grows with new visions of terror to keep us up at night inching closer to our screens and our nightmares but this week's news stories are all about our favorite franchises and horror icons for a brand new generation of horror lovers first with horror icons on the brain Shudder has just announced a brand new original docuseries titled Behind the Monsters, which promises a deep dive into some of our favorite cinematic horror icons. Each episode of the six-part series will focus on a single horror icon, exploring the origins and icon status of Candyman, Chucky, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and Hellraiser's poster cenobite, Pinhead. Viewers can expect documentary-style interviews from the creatives who originally brought these killers to life, as well as horror genre experts for a fresh, in-depth take on what makes these icons truly iconic. Oh, and if you needed another reason to check out the series when it debuts this October, Deadline has announced that the Boulay brothers will be joining the experts panel to discuss all things hair-raising, Hellraiser, and horror icons on the docuseries. So, view it or die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Ooh, thank you. (laughs) Hellraising, hair-raising, view it or die. I mean, these are some of my favorite (laughs) phrases I've heard all week. I'm super excited. I feel like this was filmed so long ago, almost like an entirely different world. Yeah. And I remember when you guys were getting ready to film this, just kind of the deep dive that you took into some of these franchises and then kind of just all of us talking. And it's just, it's really exciting. And then getting there and I got into a stupid, like laughing fit. I was in such a weird mood that I was like, everything <laughs> I know, I'm throwing it out the window and I'm going to talk for two hours about how the Chucky doll is not scary and I want to throw it across the room. And I'm like, oh. You really 
went God. off. You totally because, like, went it's off. Almost, I just forgot we were filming and I started talking to the director and the producer who we yeah. know. And we were just having a conversation about it. I was like, wait a minute. I'm on film right now. <laughs> oh, totally. And as we know, a lot can happen with the magic in the editing room. So they, they have all of that footage. So hopefully they'll, they won't do you dirty. There is also one thing that, and I'm sure this is not going to make the cut, but, you know, I think that between the two of you, one of you is more likely to show a little leg uh, looking at you, Swan Thula. But during filming, I had to be like, oh, sorry, can we cut? Drac, your dress is really showing some leg today. Oh. Like, God damn it. I wanted it to. That was the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We always have a big cut all the way up the side because sometimes like the outfits we wear are kind of like, you know, grande, like kind of supreme feeling. And it's like they can be a little like matronly if you're not careful. So I'm like, put a slit all the way up. All the way. way. When you think it's high enough, take it a little higher. Girl, make that grande slit a venti. And plus... (laughs) We have nice legs, so you might as well show them off, right? Let them know, Drac. Listen, I can say the things I don't do well or that are not the best about me, but my legs are not one of them. Oh! (laughs) Well, we don't want to talk about the list of things you don't do well. We'll be here all day. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is not true. (laughs) She always takes the bait. Well, speaking of Hellraiser and other iconic Cenobites, Pinhead has just been announced as the latest killer to join the roster of the horror video game Dead by Daylight. Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. After teasing the Cenobites' arrival to the roster earlier this week with several promotional items making reference to the original 1987 Hellraiser, developer Behavior Interactive has officially opened the puzzle box and will be summoning the Cenobites for their first ever video game appearance. Fans of the asymmetrical PvP horror game have long speculated and debated whether the Cenobites would make an appearance at some point, and now they'll finally get their sadomasochistic wish to play as or be tortured by Pinhead this September. Great, another character I can run into a fucking palace with. As a little kid, like as a little kid, like like literally, me literally like runs circles around with, you and, and it makes you like derp across oh the field. Seriously. Oh my god! I was watching some gameplay of. They're not really officially calling it Pinhead because they always name them something else. Yeah, and so his is just the Cenobite. And I was watching gameplay of the Cenobite, and he also similar to the nurse, he has a teleport power. And in the video, they're like, well, you can't teleport inside other characters. And I was like, that sounds kind of hot. You can't teleport anywhere. I have never successfully done anything with a teleport in that game. Like the only character I can play is the redneck one that has like a chainsaw. You can mm-hmm. play Leatherface, but yeah. this is like the Leatherface ripoff. And that's the one that I play. <laughs> the generic Pleatherface. Yeah, it's like I can do this even though. OK, even though still I have never hit anyone with the chainsaw. Yeah. Oh, my God. I clobber them with the other thing, the other hand. And I don't know. But it's so good hand. when you lay them on that hook. Oh, I love it. It's you heard so- me. Oh good! Like, I got him. I know. <laughs> I'm over Drax's shoulder. Like, watch those bitches. They're gonna try- get. Oh, she's right oh. there. She's right there. I get so mad. They try to come out and save them. Yeah, and I hook them up there, and I get so pissed that once I have them hooked, I take the weapon and just beat them while they're hanging there because it, it's, it's my revenge. Very okay? satisfying. The revenge of Drac Morta. That's true. They should put me in the game. <gasps> Ooh, I can fly level. around with the claws. Yes. They put some crypt TV people on there. Why the hell can't they put us on there? I'm on it. With Halloween right around the corner, we are finally seeing Halloween haunt attractions nationwide announcing their 2021 events calendar. Noticeably absent last year, but planning on stalking their way back into this Halloween, Universal Studios Hollywood has just announced their 2021 haunt lineup and she big mama, so get ready. Guests can visit the brand new Halloween 4 attraction where they'll be hunted down by Michael Myers in a replica Hold of on. the house in the film. Did you just say Halloween 4? Yeah. You're kidding me. Girl, yeah. I said she was big. Oh I said get ready, mama. <laughs> 
so excited. This Halloween season is going to be it. No, 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 listen. I actually thought about the three of us because the other attractions added to, I'm like, oh my God, the three of us have to go because okay, listen what is to this. It? So in addition to the Halloween 4 attraction, the Terror Tram is returning with the Ultimate Purge attraction where guests will have to survive the purge as part of the Universal Studios lot tour. It's so good too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like one of oh our first God, years there. So yeah. That was the first thing you guys told me about Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah. So in addition to those, there will also be mazes featuring The Haunting of Hill House, The Exorcist, and one of my personal favorites, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. With Halloween Horror Nights Hollywood coming in so strong with this announcement, I think it's safe to say we'll be seeing lots of other local haunts and Halloween events popping up soon. And girlies, I think Halloween is going to be killer this year. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's such a good mix of like classic horror yeah. and like new horror too. It's going to be awesome. I wish they did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one during the day, <gasps> like where they do the <gasps> purge, but they just had the Chainsaw Massacre people out. That I would, would be love fun. that. It's hard to do daytime horror, but it is. God. But I think they could pull it off. That purge set was impressive. There was like a crashed plane and I mean, it was good. Well, Ian, as always, thank you for all of those horrible and equally exciting updates. It is time we move on to one of my favorite segments of the show, the Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode's Creature Feature, we will be discussing the new horror comedy film Werewolves Within, directed by Josh Rubin and starring Sam Richardson. The movie is loosely based off of Red Storm Entertainment's video game by the same name and is a story that follows a group of people in a small Vermont town who get trapped in a snowstorm only to suspect one of them is actually a werewolf. So let's start by discussing what you all thought in general. Did you enjoy it? I went into this movie with some... Layered expectations, horror comedy is a hard genre for me to get into sometimes, but I saw it had pretty good reviews. I'm always a fan of, you know, things that come from video games. I got to say, I'm not 100% sure why some of the reviews have been so good because I felt like this movie really fell flat in a lot of areas. I am also going to preface this, but with kind of an opposite sort of like ground base to work off of, I usually really love horror comedies. It's very easy to sell a horror comedy to me. And I also want to preface this by saying I love, love werewolf movies Mm. like American Werewolf in London, the Ginger Snaps movies, the Howling, all of the Underworlds, even the Monster Squad, like anything (laughs) with a werewolf in it, I usually love it except for this movie. Oh, okay. Not a fan. So for me, I feel like the past year or two has been so serious and there's Mm -hmm. been so many very serious dry horror movies that have come out that we've all discussed. And I love them. I love that style. But I was missing some some comedy in my horror. So I was excited for a new horror comedy to come out. I was ready to laugh. But unfortunately (laughs) with this movie, I did not laugh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it was definitely short on laughs. I do think that with every movie that we try to review on the podcast, there are some redeeming qualities about it. Namely for me, I think that the lighting is excellent in some of the scenes. Like there's like a really deep love of that kind of 80s, you know, dual tone cyans and purples and like greens, which I think is really great. But beyond that, definitely not a lot of laughs. I think the set was super cool. I think Sam Richardson actually did a great job Mm -hmm. in the lead role. You know, my question is, do you think it was successful as a horror movie or as a comedy movie, either one? I think it came in rather low on the Richter scale for both. 
it kind of wasn't very successful as a horror movie because I don't think the scares were all that realized. There mm-hmm. were some kind of like obvious opportunities for a jump scare and it was there, but even those were a little bit like unsatisfying. Yeah, there's one specifically you're making me think of, which is when Finn, Wheeler, the ranger, and also Cecily, who is the mail carrier, they go to visit the guy's house kind of in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and they open a curtain and there is a taxidermied wolf. Yeah. And there's a jump scare there, but only because they put the sound sting in there. I'm like, uh, if you really have to force the viewer's hand with this jump scare, it's not effective. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't scary when they opened the curtain, and it definitely wasn't scary when you added the don't don't. That happened over and over because the soundscape was really there, mm-hmm. and what you were looking at was really successful in the buildup because there was the moment when Chachi, the Papillon, was out the doggy door, and yeah. it was like her owner's face and then the door and her owner's face and the door and the soundscape and everything was like, I was like, oh my God. And then, Want, want. Yeah. Like it just kind of fell short. The scare just didn't deliver. You know, it never sold me on the fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. There was something about the movie that just seemed, I don't know how to say this in a better way, sort of fake. Like, yeah, it, the actors felt like they were acting. The sets seemed fake mm-hmm. and they didn't seem comfortable in it. I also felt like they all met each other and, you know, within 10 hours, we're supposed to believe that they're super close and they're hugging each other and everything. I just, I don't know. I just didn't buy it. Oh, the main character met the mail carrier. They kikied, basically played axes and fell in love and like were making out within mm-hmm. like six hours. It was so unbelievable. I feel like part of what made this movie so unbelievable was the fact that they didn't push hard enough. Kind of like you said, Swan, it's like it fell short in the horror department and in the comedy department. And there are elements where I'm like, if you would just let these characters be absolutely absolutely ridiculous i feel like it would be so much more enjoyable and yes they try sometimes like harvey guillen's character you know kind of reaches that level of like really overt camp stereotype and i'm like i wish they would just let him live here the whole movie because that would be really satisfying harvey was funny and if they had cut him loose i think he could have been hysterical he just was sort of almost repressed feeling right totally or even the scientist so you know dr ellis is such a strange like one degree off from like an SNL character. I'm like, this needed the Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar treatment and it would be great. I related her to you. I don't know. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I was like, I'll take I it. see Ian in this role of like removed antisocial scientist who may or may not be a werewolf herself. Same. Speaking of the werewolf, that is probably my biggest problem with this movie is that the werewolf, once you finally saw the werewolf and you did not see them until the very end, it was so rudimentary. It was was very, you know, spirit Halloween werewolf to me. I feel like there is such a need for an update or for just a push in some direction. Cause you know, at this point we've seen pretty much every kind of vampire, every kind of werewolf. And there are so many amazing werewolves. Like my personal favorite Swan mentioned the lichens from the underworld franchise. Mm-hmm. I love them. I think they're vicious looking the way they transform is so grisly and you don't have to do that for a movie like this. Like it could be camp, but when she was kind of in her midway point, I was like, girl, they just put some like crepe paper and some fur on her face and called it a day. Not even any sort of prosthetics to give her a hound looking muzzle. Nothing. It was Mm -hmm. just like a regular person's face with some (laughs) makeup on. And I was just, you know, gagged over it. I was seething because I I already prefaced this about my love for werewolves and just monster movies in general. But for an hour and a half, I mean, I'm on minute like 79 and I'm like, I still haven't seen one fucking werewolf. I was just so disappointed. Uh, You know, I feel like they... 
and maybe this is giving a lot of credit and maybe it's due, maybe it's not. I feel like they wanted to play up almost kind of like John Carpenter's The Thing, that aspect of like, oh, it's the paranoia. Any of us could be the werewolf, which is the crux of the game that it's based on. But it just falls flat every time. Mm Kind of like, I don't believe that any of you are the werewolf, except for Cecily, who moment, like literally five minutes and I was like, well, she the werewolf, like, duh. I did think that they were kind of successful in planting the seed of doubt. Like it could have been Dr. Ellis. It could have been Cecily. It could have been one of the other characters that were staying at the end or even the lady whose mm. husband disappeared at the beginning. But like everything, like the comedy notes being a little bit off and the horror not quite getting there. I mean, because I was thinking of it, it's kind of like the cast of Clue. It's like mm, the Clue totally. with werewolves, except like you said earlier, they didn't push it far enough. Like, everything was just a little bit too dulled down. Well, I'll say that it wasn't our favorite movie that we've ever reviewed on the podcast, but a lot of people do disagree with us. It has pretty good ratings. So maybe listeners at home should give it a watch and let us know what they think. And uh, we can tell them that they're wrong if they like it. Exactly. (laughs) I do want to say thank God for the queens and the white trash in this movie because Mm -hmm. Harvey Guillen as Joaquin and Sarah Burns as Gwen really kind of gave me the moments that I did actually laugh out loud. If they did let Harvey be a little bit more unhinged, I think we would have gotten that kind of like that stereotype on steroids of just Mm -hmm. a queen in a small town, like just living her life. And then the white trash, like rebel redneck (laughs) mechanic chick it's just so good at times too. I have one final character moment that I loved and I think this is really the quote of the movie for me. It's when Trisha comes in and she murders a character and she goes, I will have my craft store. And yes. I was like, okay, big mood. <laughs> okay, so we can leave the review on this. My big mood moment, it was Gwen, the white trash chick when she's like walking down the hall and it's like the power has gone out and there's like this scary, spooky, like looking lithograph kind of hanging <laughs> in the inn, like this old world depiction of like a man with like a wolf's head who's like biting into a baby and it's this horror moment and she walks up to it and her eyes are bulging and she's like, that's fucking rad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, for those of you who want to check out Werewolves Within, you can watch it streaming now on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. We're going to take a break and when we return, we'll be answering listener questions and digging into this episode's haunting of history. Stay tuned. Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BoulayBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BoulayBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die. Welcome back, everyone. It's time to answer our listener questions. Ian, would you please do the honors? I would love to. We are ready when you are. Emily from Maryland writes, I loved seeing Sig Neutron as a guest judge as they were a standout on Face Off. Are either of you fans of the show? Also, aside from Maxie's extermination, did Sig do any other SFX work on the Bullet Brothers Dragula? 
I would say I'm more a fan of SIGs than necessarily Face Off. Not that I don't like Face Off. I just don't have that much experience watching the show. I was just kind of gravitated towards SIGs enigmatic character. And I think he's a genius with makeup. And also I really get along with him personally. And he did a lot of work on the show. Definitely more than that. We saw him slitting the throat of one of our beefy thralls at the beginning of episode two, the blood spurting effect for Saints Vampire Staking. Mm -hmm. And of course, what I consider his opus for season three is Eva's head smashing, which is awesome. Iconic. (laughs) Fire. Was he there? (laughs) Was he there when we killed Madeline as well? Oh my God. God. Yeah, (laughs) that night. Sig almost lost his head. uh, For fans of the show that love behind the scenes tea that night was so hellish for all of us <laughs> doing madeline's death scene i think we barely got offset what by the time the sun came up oh, oh yeah God. literally the sun was coming up. i was like we have to get the shot right now or else we're not gonna get it remember how many times we'd be like okay pull the car by now sig throw the head you know what i mean <laughs> and he had to do that like a hundred times and he almost died every time because oh, the car had God. to get so close to him pinned near that tree yes mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> ryan asks I'm so thrilled to see you recording more episodes of the podcast. And as a fellow Keeping Up Appearances fan, what I really think the world needs to know is which one of you is Hyacinth and who is the Richard? (laughs) I'm going to have to field this one because Drac is absolutely the Hyacinth. Perhaps. 100%. (laughs) There is no Richard in this relationship. I was going to say. Tell them. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to say, I can't say I'm the Richard, but sometimes I definitely feel more like the Onslow because I love to embarrass you. That's what it really is. That's exactly what it is. And you do it on purpose. You and Ian, it's like Onslow and Rose. Ian as my rose is everything. Okay, listen, I gotta say, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about, but I will say my favorite tweet that I saw this week was someone goes, I love that Creatures of the Night is basically just a compilation of Swan and Ian making Drac miserable for an hour. (laughs) That's what keeping up appearances is. Oh, it's so good. Kieran asks, what is your favorite place in the UK to visit and will you be returning anytime soon? I don't know if I have a favorite because I think I like all of our stops in the UK, but London is probably a highlight. Yeah, I was going to say, we love the UK and I have to admit and be honest, I think we still have so much more of it to see, but a couple of stops we love are the London leg of the tours that we've been on. Manchester, Glasgow is always kind of like a wild show and I can't wait to return, but I can say that we will be returning to the UK sometime in the earlier part of 2022. One of my favorite moments from when we were touring in the UK was that morning that I don't know why we had stayed up all night or something. And the three of us were in that living room area on top of the bus, you know? Oh, yeah. And we (gasps) were driving through those windy, like, Scottish roads with all the, like, trees. And it looked like we were in a werewolf movie. Oh, totally. I feel like you have a video of that somewhere on your phone. Yeah. Maybe. I'll look and see. I'll, I'll post it if I have. No, that image is seared into my mind mm-hmm. too. That Scottish coastal countryside and like all those twisted little hedge trees or whatever they were. It was like very like American Werewolf in London. It totally. was quite an upgrade from the first time we went <laughs> through the Scottish countryside <laughs> and broke down where we all had to go and find someone to fix the van and almost killed the driver. Quite an upgrade from that. I know that we've told that story on the podcast, but I feel like it doesn't get enough love. That predates Nightingale Triple X as like the big meme of live appearances. It's going in the movie for sure as a highlight, (laughs) as a pivotal scene. Maz writes, 
Huge fan here. I've listened to every episode of Creatures of the Night and seen every episode of the Boulay Brothers Dragula at least two times. I was wondering, what horror movies could you not finish because they were too scary and or disturbing? There are no horror movies that I've started that I didn't finish. Although I can admit that there is a movie that I've kind of avoided just because of all of the hype and the hearsay around it. And Ian, you actually mentioned this last episode and it's Martyrs. Mm -hmm. Because Vander told me about Martyrs and kind of gave me a little tip off about like which direction it goes in. And I'm not one for like torture porn or like Mm -hmm. being overly gore-ish. It's just not my thing. Equally in the same vein, I do not watch the Saw movies. Mm. Not because I'm scared of them, just because I don't think I would enjoy it. I don't like that sort of theme. So, yeah. It's interesting because I feel like the Saw franchise and Martyrs are like two totally opposite sides of the torture coin. Like to me, the Saw movies are just like, insane high camp and martyrs is totally devoid of humor and it is a miserable movie will you tell me some scene there was like an empty swimming pool full of hypodermic needles and some guy oh yeah oh yeah i'm good i've seen it it's it's really nothing oh really it's fine great they're fun (laughs) (laughs) that's how i feel about the saw franchise too like this is really fun totally oh morticia from leeds england writes (laughs) perfect What film or book never fails to make you smile and do you return to time again for comfort or inspiration? I'm going to say maybe Wicked. Mm. Yeah. Now, I hate the play. I hate anything outside of the book. It's so dumb. And I saw a clip of it today, like... Uh, whoever, not not the person who originally played the witch. There's some new one, and they're like, mm. "How impressive is she?" And she's like, "Ah, <laughs> like on her broom." And I was like, "I Work. hate this so bad." <laughs> but the book I love; it's very comforting. The book is genius, and I remember when Drac read that book years ago and kind of passed it along to me. And I'm like, "This is amazing." But I also think another film to go to just for pure enjoyment is Death Becomes Her because we can <gasps> relate to so much of its content so intimately. Liz from Mississippi writes, My question for the Boulay Brothers is, what are your astrology signs? And is Drac a Virgo rising or a Virgo sun? I am a triple Virgo and feel like Drac has serious Virgo energy. Well, Liz, your sensitivity to the astrological scape is very accurate. Drac is, in fact, a Virgo. Drac's sun sign is Virgo. And I'm speaking for Drac because she really doesn't give a shit about astrology. Let him have a Zelda. (laughs) Jack has absolute quintessential Virgo energy. And if you are a triple Virgo, I don't know whether to fear you seriously or feel really bad for you. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I am on the cusp, the cusp of magic to be precise. Gemini cancer. Juniper from Florida asks, In your Unlucky 13 episode of the podcast, Drac mentioned baking apple cider and pumpkin stew for the Halloween season. I was wondering if Drac and Swan have any favorite recipes they make year-round, and if so, what are they? I mean, I think we do, but you can't really top cider and pumpkin stew around Halloween because it just it's just so perfect. But I actually cook a lot. I like to make Mediterranean food and Asian food, but my go-to just kind of comfort is barbecue chicken nachos. <laughs> oh, yes. Super spooky, very boulet, but that is the real tea. <laughs> Let them know, Swan. <laughs> So if I ever have you over and you want to have a real treat, have Swan's barbecue chicken nachos and you will never want another plate of nachos in your life. 
I like to think that when Victoria is doing her kind of like the dream sequence death scene and she's like, oh, thank you for this tea. And she's stirring the tea. If you pan the camera back, there's a giant plate of barbecue chicken nachos too. (laughs) And the herbs in my garden that I made them from. Marilyn asks, my question is for Swanthula. In a past episode, you mentioned that your family is Greek and I was wondering if the name Swanthula is an homage to that. I'm Greek-American too, and it's always reminded me of the name Anthula, so when I heard that, it made me wonder even more. I would love to know. Well, Marilyn, I want to say that you are a very powerful sleuth, because you are correct. This is a variation of the name Anthula, which comes from my heritage, and it was just something that I kind of like took inspiration from, but transformed and put it into my own kind of like fantasy realm, and you're right. Jennifer from Ontario writes... You've mentioned in the podcast that you go to a lot of haunted events, and of course, there's your hauntings of history segment, but you've never mentioned an actual ghost hunt. Do any of you believe in ghosts? And if you do believe in ghosts, have you ever done a ghost investigation with a paranormal team? I have been trying to get you all to go on location and do something like this forever. And now that someone has asked us to do it on the podcast, we have to do it. I'm 100% game. Yeah. I'm scared. Oh, my God. That's why you're going. <laughs> I'm not scared of ghosts, but one time I was setting a club up years ago. We were doing a, a nightlife event. Okay, and tell I, this story, like, for real. Okay, I was setting up an event, and this is actually our Halloween event, and right. it was in a space that we no longer use, but we threw our very first Halloween parties there years ago. And there was, like, kind of, like, a loft space where we stored all of our decorations and jack-o'-lanterns and all this kind of stuff. And I was there alone, which many times I was because we would just literally live there for like a week decorating for Halloween because we've always gone above and beyond to a ridiculous degree to make our Halloween experience just incredible for the people yeah, that come to the party. they would close down for a week and yeah. we would just decorate and be in there all We night. would literally live in the unoccupied venue for like probably like five or six yeah. days and decorate it. So I was there alone and you had to like climb up a ladder to get up in there and it was several rooms, but the two main rooms were separated by kind of like a little cutout opening, like a double doorway. So I'm up there and I hear, and I'm just like, Hello? I mean, I'm there by myself. I'm like sweating. I've been working. I've been there for hours, totally silent. I'm like, hello. And then I hear, and I'm like, oh my God. Then I step out on the ladder and I crane my head down into the right so that I can see through the double doors, which is just a framework for a long hallway where I can then see the bar in the other room. So that opening of the bar is very small in my vision. And the figure of a very pale, very old man in a hat, in a little black hat, just goes right across. And I was like, (gasps) like I got literally, I was like, (gasps) like the chills. I was like, I just saw the guy who was here to fix the register. I was like, who is this fucking old guy? Okay, but here's the weird thing about it. Because he he called me and was like, he does not ever think anything so i'm like if you're calling me about something like this this is serious you know and i was like trying to rack my brain i'm like who could it be because it's the middle of the night so Mm -hmm. no one would ever be we're the only people that had the keys so there's no way someone so we were like what's happening well they had these old like 1920s registers for i don't know why so only this one ancient ass guy knew how to fix them Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So even we wouldn't see him because he would only come in like every couple of years or something. But I mean, I've seen him before, but it had been a long time ago. And he truly looks like a ghoul. <laughs> so and he wears a white suit with a little hat. What? And he looks like a ghost. Very scary. It, it was really the only time where I ever thought like I actually just saw a legitimate apparition. It was scary. Equally something scary that happened up on that same space was I was sitting up there doing a Mad Hatter's Tea Party performance art piece one time where I had little <laughs> teacups with fuel in them and so they were on fire. So I was like drinking them and doing like a fire show. Well, one of the oh. cups had a crack in it. And as I was holding it, basically the fuel from the cup had slowly <gasps> drained into my glove. So my glove was soaking wet with the fuel, but you can't tell because it's like it's not like water, right, you know. Yeah. So I'm sitting there sipping and this is how this would go. You would go up there to perform and then they would pull the ladder away <gasps> so that you're Girl. when you're up there, you're up there. Girl. So anyway, so all these little teacups are on fire and I'm drinking them and whatever. And then I'm like, oh, my entire <laughs> arm is on fire. <gasps> wow. So, oh. I, <laughs> so I'm not going to break character, you know? So right. I'm like, because, you know, people down there are like, ah, there's like someone on fire. So I just like kind of like put my hand down in front of me and I laid on it and kind of was continued to perform. And I was like, I'm, surely I'm going to snuff this mm-hmm. out or, you know. And I sat up and I was like, oh, my God, it's still on fire. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't know what I did. I was just so like, there's no way that this can happen. I just smushed it and willed it to go out without a panic. But that was a truly scary moment. That was before that one club in New Jersey or whatever exploded Mm. because of someone doing a fire show. Yeah, I remember that. You used to be able to do fire in clubs before then, and we would do fire play all the time. But after that happened, it was like strictly like no more fire I'm forgetting the name of that, but I remember that club. It was like a heavy metal show or something that like burned the whole club down. All these people died. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I have one experience with ghosts and truly I'm not really scared to go on this paranormal investigation. I really do want to do it. But when I was a kid, I stayed over at a friend's house and I was probably like 15 or something. And I slept in this kind of guest room. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I just could not breathe. Like it was like the feeling of like all the wind had been knocked out of me, like gasping for breath, couldn't catch my breath. And it was like several minutes of that. Went to the kitchen, got water, finally came back and just had this weird kind of sensation of like just something was off. So then the next day, I was talking to my friend's parents. and They are like, oh, how did you sleep? I'm like, actually, not well. Why? I'm like, well, you know, so-and-so's grandfather died in that room a couple of years ago. And I was like, okay, well, that's horrifying on several levels, but weird coincidence. So then a couple of years later, I was staying at my grandmother's house, and I was sleeping on the couch, and I remember waking up, and all the clocks were at, like, 3 o'clock. And she has these really loud clocks in her house, and it was the same sensation of just could not breathe. And later I was talking to my grandmother about it and I was just like, you know, is there anything like weird about that couch? She's like, well, you know, that was your grandfather's favorite couch. And that was the couch that he had died on. Wow. So I'm not saying that old men love me in the afterlife, but I am <laughs> saying that old men take my breath away sometimes. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. It is interesting. I don't want to ruin it for people at home, but you know, I know people are like, oh my God, someone died here. Not your story, because that is a creepy story. But people be like, I don't want to move in that house. Someone died here. And I'm like, Sherry, someone has probably mm-hmm. died everywhere you've ever been in your life. Yeah, like, come totally. on. Truly. You can't teleport into other people in Dead by Daylight, <laughs> but there's dead bodies <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> no, you know, people die all the time in places where you live. And, you know, even that, before that house that you live in now was there, you know, 100 or 200 years ago, I'm sure there was someone there that died. Like, 
That's the way it is. Well, that's all the time we have for listener questions this week, but please be sure to email us your questions to creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com to have them answered on air in the next episode. We'd love to hear from you all. Now it's time to change the mood a little and bring down the lights as we prepare for this episode's haunting of history. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. On January 25th, 1959, a group of experienced hikers set out for a skiing expedition across the Ural Mountains that would ultimately become one of the most infamous unsolved mysteries in Russian history. Roughly 10 kilometers away from their proposed final destination, the entire group would be found dead, their bodies mangled and mutilated so horribly that an investigation was immediately ordered to uncover the events that led to their deaths. For over 60 years, experts have proposed theories about the expedition's outcome, ranging from the simple and scientific to the ghoulish and the supernatural. Despite decades worth of scientific research and countless proposed explanations, no single theory has ever been able to fully explain the horrors of the Dyatlov Pass incident. After the group's leader, Igor Dyatlov, failed to signal back to the group's university, a search and rescue team was dispatched to look for the missing hikers. When the rescue party finally found the group's campsite, they were greeted with brutal carnage and a trail of clues that would only serve to deepen the mystery. Rescuers first noticed that the hikers' tents had all been slashed open from the inside, indicating that the hikers had fled the campsite in a rushed and desperate panic, either in search of or escape from something. Some 70 meters away from the site, rescuers found the hikers' frozen corpses in various states of undress, with wounds covering their bodies and no survivors. An initial investigation into the deaths revealed that six of the hikers had died from hypothermia, and three had been killed by severe physical trauma, including major skull damage on multiple bodies, various broken bones, and chest injuries consistent with victims of extreme car crashes or other massive impacts. While there have been multiple investigations into the Dyatlov Pass incident, theories surrounding the deaths of the nine hikers have run the gamut for decades. Among the hundreds of speculative theories, a few categories have emerged, each with staunch believers to their validity and evidence to support their claims. Harsh, unexpected weather conditions, wild animal attacks, violence from indigenous tribes, military conspiracy theories, and even betrayal from within the group have all at some point been viewed with legitimacy. Pushing further into the supernatural and paranormal, Documented UFO sightings in the area around this time have led some to believe that aliens or otherworldly visitors may have been involved, while cryptozoological creatures from local folklore such as the Russian Yeti helped to make sense of the brutal violence of the scene and the lack of survivors. Bridging the gap between science and psychological horror, some theories suggest that fear, paranoia, and maybe even radioactivity-induced hysteria could have led to the increased tensions and documented physical altercations amongst members of the group, and ultimately, a tale of vicious murder in the dark, cold night. In 2020, the deputy head of the Ural Federal District confirmed that the official explanation for the Dyatlov Pass incident was a sudden, deadly avalanche moving at no less than 300 kilometers per hour. According to this explanation, after being awoken by the rumblings of the avalanche, the hikers desperately fled their campsite and were consumed by the avalanche, 
battered by huge blocks of ice, causing the physical trauma found on the bodies. Numerous scientific models of avalanche recreations have been used to support this theory, which neatly solves the mystery. Despite the official ruling by the Russian government, there are elements of the Dyatlov Pass incident that haunt researchers and theorists to this day. Aside from the documented fatal injuries, documents from the investigation recorded injuries that have led some to believe that the answers to the mysteries of the deaths may lie somewhere more sinister than extreme weather events. Close by in a running creek bed, four of the hikers' bodies were found positioned face down, all completely naked. Two of these bodies had their eyes crudely removed, and another was discovered with their tongue ripped out, although no tools were found to explain how the injuries had been sustained. Whether you choose to believe the official report of a massive weather event claiming the lives of nine experienced hikers, or you're more inclined to believe that something darker is at play based on the gruesome violence that science has yet to explain, the mysteries of the Dyatlov Pass incident remain buried beneath a chilling layer of ice and snow. Thank you for joining us for another terrifying episode of the Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night. Until next time, be sure to follow us on social media for up-to-date announcements on all of our projects, including the Boulet Brothers Dragula and the upcoming Halloween season. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulet Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre.